But speaking of Vacation Bible School, what a time we had. <clears throat> Boy, it's a little more subdued here this morning than what it has been this week. There were uh, 20, was it 28? Where's it? Oh, about, I think it was 20. It was more than that, I think. But uh, it's either, I think Ellen said either 24 or 28. Ellen's not here. She must still be recuperating. <clears throat> Actually, she did an outstanding job at coordinating things. Uh, she was just very chill um, and just rolled with it. And she had a lot of people in place. And I have to say, it was a beautiful sight to watch the body of Christ come together to put on this one event to invest in uh, our children for, for the purpose of the kingdom. There were just a lot of individuals that all pitched in to make it happen. Even the people in charge for the game night, there were three nights, they split up the responsibilities. And I was like, can you, thinking to myself, can you do that? Because it was, you know, Madison and Ferris one night, and then Ashley and CJ the next night, and then Madison, Ferris, and again. So the, the load was spread out beautifully. It was wonderful, and I think the kids had a great time. I'm still nurturing a headache, a minor headache from the noise. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not, but it was a lot of fun. It was just, and it was meaningful. The teaching was good, and the crafts, and the singing, and the sign language. It was all very beautiful ministry. So thanks to all those that pitched in for that. Well, we, <clears throat> we are in, uh, back in Ecclesiastes for our Communion Sunday series. We'll be in chapter 3 this morning. And Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes is a different kind of book. It's written, it's a wisdom book. It's written by King Solomon, who is a thinking man. He's a wise man, and he wants to know how things work. But he's not satisfied with just surface things. He thinks very deeply, and he wants to kind of go for the juggler of life, if you will. And he asks this question, is there really meaning in life under the sun? <clears throat> so he looks at the world and life, and he evaluates it on the terms of if, if there's nothing above the sun, if there's no divine meaning, if there's no, if there's no purpose or there's no being out there, then there is no purpose. And he in, undergoes a series of um, experiments to try to find if there is meaning and purpose. The question that he asks isn't, uh, do we even exist? Some philosophers and people ask that question. Today, do we even exist? Does any of this exist? Or is it some kind of matrix? Is it in some, kind, some person's mind? His question isn't, do we exist? His question is, in all that does exist, is there like a built-in meaning? Is there a built-in purpose? Is there a nature to things? So when they act the way they're supposed to act, that they are fulfilling some divine being's will, or plan. And he thinks in terms of a philosopher. So really the book of Ecclesiastes, it's, it's more of a lecture or a, a classroom experience where the philosopher doesn't just tell you the answers, but he kind of asks the questions and probes. And his bottom line so far is that if there is no God, if there's nothing above the sun, if we're stuck here in this closed universe and on Middle Earth, then there cannot be any meaning. There is not any meaning in anything we do. It doesn't matter if we spend our whole lives living in our parents' basement playing video games. Because what's the difference? 
Doesn't matter what we do or what we don't do. We're just here and life goes on. Some people have to make up their own meaning, which we see a lot of today. If there's no divine purpose, if there's no thread, then we get to all make up our own truth. We get to make up our own meaning because we're not under some big meaning or authority structure. So he's a, he's a deep thinker who is making the case that life is meaningless if there's no divine being. Sometimes his arguments get a little confusing because he looks at it from a secular point of view. That is, there is no God, and therefore there is no meaning. But every once in a while, he pulls in God. So he looks at it from two different world views, and we just have to know that his main argument is that without God, all of life is meaningless. Life under the sun. We're born into a meaningless world, and we die uh, meaninglessly. It's a wonderful message. Very, very uplifting. It's no wonder that um, I looked it up. There's this st- statistics say that there are only about 7% of the population are atheists. 7% of the world actually believe that there is absolutely no divine divinity or divine being out there, that this is all there is. And that's actually probably lower because that figure includes agnostics, people who would say, I don't really know. So the actual percentage, is, I'm just going to guess, is maybe half of that. Because this is a tough pill to swallow. If we're going to say that there's no meaning out there, that really, when it gets down to it, what I do doesn't matter on any large scale, that, that's hard to live by. And a lot of atheists actually say one thing, but they live as if there is meaning. And they decide and they act as if it really, what they do really does matter and what they do really does count. So where does Solomon's thinking take us today in chapter 3. Well, he's going to just briefly look or consider uh, time and history. And we'll, it's what he calls seasons. As he stands back and looks and observes the world, he, he noticed that there are, there, there's rhythm here. Things happen, sometimes opposites. You know, you, you're born and, and then people die. There's different seasons to engage in different things. And I'm going to read this morning, we're just going to look at the first eight verses. And uh, I might warn you in advance, there may be some out there that unconsciously just start humming a tune (laughs) as I read these first eight verses. Because there was a band called the Birds, B-Y-R-D-S, B-Y-R-D-S, yeah, Uh, in the 60s that literally put these words into a very catchy tune and sang the song. The only thing they added to it that isn't in Scripture is turn, turn, turn. So let's read the first uh, eight verses. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down 
and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. So if we stand back and look at the world, we might observe the same thing. In essence, he just described how we spend our lives, how we do life, how the world turns, you might say. Some of these things uh, happen because of the choices we make. Some of, things, some of these things, they just happen. And we don't get to, uh, to have a say in the matter. But just being alive, we're going to experience great sorrow at times, and we're going to experience great joy. We're going to experience times of intense labor and work and other times of rest and leisure and, of course, times of life and times of death. We cannot avoid the things that he has described in these, in these verses. <clears throat> that means that we're always in some kind of season and maybe even several seasons at one time because there's a lot of things that are going on in this world under heaven. So we're interacting with people in these terms. We're interacting with the world in these terms. And there's a sense in which not only the people, but the world is interacting with us because it's God's creation, interacting with us as well. Things change. They don't always say the same. And they're designed to change. And we're learning in the book of Revelation that things change and have seasons because we are, we and all of creation, the cosmos, is on a trajectory to find its consummation, its fulfillment in Christ Jesus. That's where everything is headed. And as we are on this journey and we come into this life and we leave and somebody else comes into the world and they leave, as we're on this journey, we experience these kinds of seasons. God is above all things. And not only is, are there no rogue molecules in the world because God is, rules sovereignly, but there are no rogue seconds in the world. Time is God's. History is God's. He writes the story. As believers, and the main thing I want us to understand as we consider these seasons, as we consider these verses, is that these kind of things, the good and the bad, should not take us by surprise as Disciples of Christ. Because they are a part of the world that we live in. They're a part of the world that God has created. And we understand that right now we are enduring fallenness of humanity. And we have to endure the things such as death and sin and tragedy and sorrow. And not only endure it on the outside, but even in our own hearts. Because we live that kind of life. The the ambivalence between sin and righteousness. Uh, Not only... Do people harm us, but also we harm people. And so this is, this is really our story here. And it shouldn't catch us by surprise, but we should understand 
that in all of this, uh, in the healing and in the brokenness, there's purpose and meaning. The, these, are, these aren't just random seasons. They are God's seasons. They are God's plan, and they, they work out. They're hammered out by the Spirit of God. It's not meaningless. These things are not happening by accident. And so we want to understand our sorrow and our rejoicing and our dancing in, in the context of a sovereign God who rules over all of these things. Because not only are there all of these seasons, but there's a God of the seasons. And that's the main thing I want us to be thinking about this morning. So no matter what season that we are in, there is always something of redemptive value. Because they're not accidents. God allows things. They, they, the wheels do have to turn. Change has to come forth because of the trajectory that we are on for all things to be consummated in Christ. So there's a sense in which we can enjoy them. You know, I've, I've heard it say that grief is a nice place to visit but not live. I like that. There's a season for grief, but there's also a time to come out of it and to move on with our lives. So all of these things come by the hand of God, and we have to learn and should learn and be aware of these things and understand that God's going to be pushing us to change because there are seasons that He's going to bring into our lives. We, we can't stay the same. God doesn't want us to stay the same. There, there are periods in my life where I think, wouldn't it be cool just to live that week or that day or that vacation or whatever, that wonderful memory that you have just time and time again? I don't know really what to say to that. It might be Groundhog Day. You might get tired of it. It would lose its luster. But I do know that we can't relive that same day. That's not the world that God has created for us. So the war, the peace... Um, the hugs, the embraces, the absence of embraces, uh, the season of diapers, the season of no more diapers, all of these things. You know, I think of even um, child rearing and our infants, and you think, oh, there, sometimes we forget that our children will actually grow out of these certain stages and we get lost in the moment. But there are seasons that we go through, and there are ends of things, and there are a beginning. Two things. All of these are matters under heaven. It's all there. So we want to journey through them with a proper mindset. God manages them. God manages time. Therefore, there is a time. There is a season. Or everything that God wants us to experience in our lives. That time will come. No season on earth will last forever except the final season, which is our life, our eternal life with Christ, which will go on and on and on and on. This world as we know it will change. It will end. Death is conquered. Sin will end. All of the evil will have its, be put in its proper place for eternity. And those that believe in Christ will live that final season in heaven, in the presence of the glory of God, forever and ever, and that will never change. For now, we see lots of 
change. So I was thinking about seasons and thinking about this passage. You know, there's a lot of different directions that we could take this. But I just thought about church. I thought about New Covenant Fellowship. This church has moved through many, many seasons. You might say church seasons, if you will. We've just had a lot of great memories. We've had wonderful, wonderful times. Uh, This church began meeting in homes with just really a few families. They they met in homes, and you'd bring your family, you'd bring your kids. You had Sunday school right in the living room floor. It was a very very intimate, small, tight-knit group, and so it, it gave way to some special relationships because of its size and and really the limits, the limitations that it had. It's very intimate. But we can't go back and, and those times were, were wonderful and they had their place, but we can't go back and reproduce that because things have moved on. Time has changed. Seasons have changed. We can't go back and make the same experience because all of the different variables and factors that went in to make that one experience be what it was. You, know, you had to have a certain amount of people. You had to have certain families. They had to be in a certain season of their walk in, in life. And I remember it was new. It was exciting. A lot of some of the believers there were very young and, and, and you know, immature and naive, and, but, but wanting to learn about God. And because we were kind of so small, we, there was only one place to look, and that was to look up. And so there was this excitement to see, where, what's God going to do with this? Where is he going to take this? So that was a season there. We can't reproduce it. It was just something that was meant for a a time. I also thought about the Cornerstone Coffee House. That was a very powerful ministry in the town of Crewe. And it was, you think about all the variables that made that ministry possible. Contemporary Christian music was just, you know, on the horizon here. All the songs that you kids have today, like, there were hardly any Christian songs when I became a Christian. I think I listened to Dallas Home uh, so much because there just were a few contemporary artists out there. And you can turn the radio on and listen to so many different people. But back then it was just beginning. And so there were some bands, some, some Christians were forming bands and they take it on the road, the ministry on the road. And we had a Cornerstone Coffee House and crew. Actually, it'd be that way. And... Um, and these bands would come and minister to the people, and it just so happened that there was a game room and crew almost right beside the coffee house, so there were youth already hanging out there on weekends on the street and being cool and stuff, so it was a great opportunity to invite them in and, and to care for them and evangelize them. Uh, different families worked hard and served. There's schedules where you had pizza night and you had to do this and clean up and so forth, and it was a very powerful ministry. Now, it's interesting that two different times, because some of the kids that came up through those days and that experience, it it made such a good impact in their lives, they wanted to reproduce it. There were two different times that different individuals tried to reproduce the Cornerstone Coffee House ministry, and it just didn't happen. I mean, we tried, we put effort into it, it just didn't happen. That was for a season in God's sovereign plan. And it was time to move on and not stop ministry, but it's time to move on and minister in other ways. There's always ways to minister. That's not what changes. It's just, it's just what God is up to in people's lives and in the culture and all of that. 
So what became of those few families that excitedly and anticipatedly uh, met in those homes and, and studied scripture and sang songs together? Well, this is it. You are it. You are the fruit of those families that came together. And now we're like in a real church. And we have a real worship team. And we have sound booth guides and we have Sunday school classrooms of all ages. Back then you just grouped everybody together. Like one size fits all. So we, we have all of the omissions board and, and youth ministries and young married couples ministries and Bible studies. And there's all kinds of activities that are going on. That's the season we're in now. That little meeting led to what you see today. It's all ministry. It's what God is doing in people's lives. Things have changed. There's been challenges. There's been defeats. There have been triumphs. But we can't reproduce the past. We can enjoy the present. We have hope for the future. But we can enjoy the present. We can't just keep wearing the same thing every day because the seasons change. So we're blessed with a lot of children here at uh, New Covenant Fellowship. That was made known at our vacation Bible school. They made a strong statement there. Uh, Sometimes you might go back into the nursery and you might see a little toddler, a little toothless toddler, maybe just crawling around in a diaper or onesie gumming on an animal cracker. Hopefully that was given to them and wasn't found as three years old. You know, and and you you see this stage that these babies are in, and it's so cute, the different things that they learn and they do and how they act. But if you walk back there and saw a 15-year-old wearing a diaper and gumming on an animal cracker, that would be downright Weird and wrong, right? It's not cute anymore. It's just yuck. See, there's seasons of maturity. You can't stay in certain modes because we are meant to move on and serve different purposes for God and His kingdom. There are seasons for things. And I'm sure your minds are probably turning as well as you think about different seasons in your life. They're seasons of friendships. I had some really good friends in elementary school, but almost a a new best friend almost every year. And they were great relationships, but they changed. You know, older on in life, you have a tendency to keep life uh, friends longer. Some have lifelong friendships, which I think is absolutely incredible. But seasons change. There's there's, uh, friendships. I've seen countless friendships Develop and change within our church. And that's okay. You know, as long as we're rightly related. They have a good run. They move on. People come in. People go out. So there's a beginning. There's an end. There's joy. There's suffering. And yet both of those things, as miserable as suffering can be, and we want to avoid it, both of those things play an important part in the redemptive plan of God and in our own lives. We get to know God through times of joy and seasons of suffering. We know Him in a different way. Because we endeavor to be like Christ and conform to His image who 
for the, for the joy set before him suffered. And so for the joy set before us, we endure different kinds of suffering. We will continue to go through different seasons. It's kind of hard for me to even say this, but now that we have been a bona fide church for um, 40 years, I think maybe some change, now we go through, we're, we're, we're entering into this season of um, uh, funerals. This is new for us. And, and I was there at the beginning as a young Christian 40 years ago when this church started. I didn't really know what was going on. But, um, and I watch, now I watch these young families that were a part of the original house church that turn into this, and they are aging before our very eyes. And some of them, the Lord is calling them home, and I think this is new, and I don't like it. Whew, and, and yet, it's a sign of health. It's a sign of longevity. It makes a statement of God's faithfulness to people who he keeps, he keeps plugged into his church. I don't, I don't know what it looks like. This is new to me to watch people that I look up to uh, you know, run their course. It's a, it's a season that I, I hope I can embrace, that we can embrace, and, and uh, it's an opportunity to rejoice in the plan of God and the work of God as He keeps His promises. So we, we think about the seasons, and we all go through different seasons. We're in seasons of one or the other, five or ten even right now. But the, the second thing I want us to look at this morning is that because there are seasons, there is a God of the seasons. There's a bigger picture to all of this. It's a broader context that, that helps us to make sense of it all. And that's what Solomon wants to do as a deep thinker. He sees life, there's all this activity going on, and he just kind of wants to know, does it matter if I just don't even get out of bed today? Does or if I do get out of bed and I do something productive or I engage and have relationships, does that really count for anything? That's what he wants to know. And I would say, of course, because there's a God of the seasons, everything that we do absolutely counts. So I want to just kind of spend this the remainder of our time uh, not out of Ecclesiastes, but to stand back and look at the bigger picture of how this fits and, and how this works. You know, who is God? Who is this God of the season? So we'll, we'll kind of turn left deeper into the Old Testament and then take a right into the New Testament here in a minute. Isaiah 46, I'll read it for you. Isaiah 46, verses 8 through 11. Remember this. And stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. 
This is God's revelation. God's word is his revelation. So he's revealing himself as the one who does these things. He's the one that is over all of these things. And he has this uh, incredible vantage point because he can see the past and the present and the future all at one time. What's our vantage point? Our vantage point, well, I can kind of grasp life when I come into it and look around. I might be able to reach back into history if I look at the History Channel or read history books, and that gives me a better vantage point. But look at God's vantage point. Look who He is. He sees it all, which means He sees us. He saw us before we were formed. He sees us now as we're being formed. He'll see what we will be. In eternity, he knows every day of our lives. He speaks, he sets things into motion, and what he says, his counsel stands. That's his vantage point. So that's why it's such a good reason to obey Scripture and trust God and obey God because he knows so much more than we do. He sees so much more than we do. And so it helps us as we go through these seasons, especially the difficult seasons, or even the seasons of great joy, to know that I'm going to enjoy this for what it is and while I can, but I may not have this forever. So I'm going to seize the day. How about the future? We make plans, but our plans are, you know, Lord willing plans, if the Lord wills. And I have a calendar and I, I have things on it that, that I've planned and, and I think they're going to happen and I want them to happen. You know, we have to do that in life. We make our plans. Scripture acknowledges that. But I can only see my moment. You know, everything in my past is just a memory now. The future is a hope. But the present is my best shot of any kind of clarity at grasping what is going on or what season. I can only see one moment at a time, and yet God sees all these moments. He sees every moment that we have experienced. He sees every moment, every second that we will uh, experience in our lives. And Isaiah says that he summons a bird of prey. Have you ever watched a hawk come down and catch its lunch? I mean, that's, that, that's the counsel of God. God's behind those things. And it's no wonder you have this lonely, frightened prophet, Elijah, who's in hiding because he fears for his life, and God summons the raven to bring his man food. God calls these things. And he says, I summon the man of my counsel from a far country. God can move a person from the bottom of the globe to the top of the globe. By his will, by his power, by his counsel, by the way he works in our circumstances, in our lives, in creation, in the fabric of who we are, in our thought, in our heart, our desire. The way he works through all of this, his purpose is being done. Even people that are flying, driving, walking, hiking, whatever, whatever, all over the globe that we know of as this world. He can move any man anywhere at any time to serve his purpose. Isn't that why we have missionaries? You know, you're sitting there and, and, and God's word comes to you and you start to realize, I think God wants me to go. 
Some of us realize He wants us to say, you know, we're sending. And there's others who the Spirit of God, nope, it's time, your season here is over, it's time for you to move on. I've called you somewhere else. So He can move things. But what does that mean? A lot of times we, from our, our vantage point, we say, well, I'm here. Yeah, I'm here. I was born here. My grandpappy still lives here. Or I came here for work. That's why I'm here. Or I'm, I, I moved closer to my loved ones. I, I read this, um, this week that a lot of the moves that are taking place, people buying homes, are uh, baby boomers moving to be closer to the grandkids. They keep these things under statistics. My sister, uh, oldest sister, moved to Illinois to be closer to her grandkids from Maryland. So we're here. Why? Why are we here? We're here because God has us here. Because God summoned us here in some mysterious will. We make the choice. It's something we want to do. We believe it's the right thing. But behind all of that, it's that, that counsel of God. It's the God of the seasons, moving, shifting, changing, repositioning things. Another scripture, the psalmist has a healthy view of this. I understand that this was the scripture passage used for the um, baby shower yesterday, so I'll stay away from some of it. I don't want to rehash all of it. But Psalm 139, um, 13 through 16, for a very uh, common verse, you formed my inward parts... You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am wonderful. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. And here's where I want to zoom in on. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet, there was none of them. So, like every day. Talk about intimate care for His creation. He brings us into the world. He breathes breathes life into us. Our book is written. Like He knows all of these things. By the hand of God, the, the, the good powerful, wise, merciful, loving God has written our story. He gives us our beginning. He weaves everything. He does this work with a knowledge. So, so the things that we struggle with today, we can't see a way out of sometimes. We don't know how they're going to end. And they might look really dismal. But honestly, we just don't know. But God knows. And so I'm trusting that today, the things that He brings into my life in this season, have a purpose for tomorrow and next week and the next month that I, I can't fathom. I don't know. How many times have I said, God, this is not good. This is not good. I can't, I've looked down the halls of time. I can't see any goodness in this. Well, God does day by day by day work in us. To bring forth his whole counsel. He knows what our end looks like. And he knows what he's trying to do in our lives. And we don't always get that privilege to see. So these verses and this idea of seasons and the God of seasons. 
Sometimes it's a hard pill, but it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. I like what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, and I have just two more verses to share with you. 1 Corinthians 15, 9-10, think about the Apostle Paul, think about his past, and then his conversion to Christ. And he says, I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Man! What we know about God, he's a persecutor of God. That is a dangerous thing to do. But verse 10, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them through, though it was not I, but the grace that is with me. So the seasons of life, They're seasons of grace. He owns his past. He doesn't try to deny it or erase it. I persecuted the church. But I recognize as I look at my life, I look at my mistakes, I look at my my progress, I look at my faith, my lack of faith, I put it all together and I realize that what I am today is a product of God's grace. I am what I am because God is a God of grace. It's all mixed together. It's spaghetti. It's both. It's not that God's grace started after his conversion. God's grace is on our lives every day. And there's a reason for that. So God's grace is a, is a making grace. It's a shaping grace. God is crafting us. He's weaving us. He's honing us. He's shaping us. He understands who he is. So God didn't make a mistake when he fashioned the Apostle Paul and he persecuted the church for the first part of his life. God didn't make a mistake when he fashioned us the way he did. The truth is, we have to eventually be okay with that. Be okay with the God, how God made us and the gifts and the abilities and how He uses us and how He empowers us with His Holy Spirit and how He may not in different ways. Last scripture, Acts 17, 24 through 28. I hope we'll bring it all into to focus. Uh, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Now here's where I want to focus in on this passage. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him, yet He's actually not far from each one of us. In Him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own prophets have said, for we are indeed His offspring. So God determines people. He determines places. He determines geography. He determines ethnicity and and cultures all of this moving people around and keeping people put in his economy of redemption 
I mean, things change and go in directions that we never imagined. I can tell you this. When, when I was a child, all the way up in, uh, until after I became a Christian, not once, I imagined, well, I imagined myself doing many things when I grew up. And they all pertain to working outside. I love to work outside. I love to work with my hands. Not one time in my entire life that I'm aware of did I ever picture myself standing in a pulpit in a church preaching God's word. Never. Well, we don't know what God's going to do in our lives. Now, I'm here willingly, of course. 80%. I am 80%. But willingly, because what you, you know, what are you going to do, fight God? You, God leads us, we pray for Him to lead us and direct us, and we trust that that's the greatest place of joy. He's going to lead us into the greatest place of joy, so I am in the greatest place of joy in my life. I say that confidently. So, you know, God has... Uh, amen. Amen. There's one. There's one. <laughs> So the God who stands above all time, you know, he, he wires us. He wires us to play. He wires us to fight when we need to fight. He wires us to stand down when we need to stand down. He wires us to, to, to give in and yield when we need to yield. To love when we need to love. To, to hate for the sake of righteousness when we need to do that. We're, we're in periods that God has set, which means that we are where God wants us to be. How can we not? If God rules all over this, that there's a season for like every little thing that we witness and happen in life, how can we not in some mysterious divine way be where God wants when he can call a man anywhere, anytime across the globe to serve his purpose, where he allots boundaries and limitations? So this is our season. I've recently heard Pastor John MacArthur, who uh, he's been in ministry over 50 years. Um, somebody said, and he talks about how bad times are and, and the end times and things. And somebody said, well, don't you fear for your grandkids? And I was like, hmm, what's he going to say about that? And he said, uh, no, I don't fear for my grandkids. I'm excited for my grandkids because this is their time. This is their time allotted for them. We all have our time. And God is with all of us in our allotted time and period. He knows the cultures. He knows what we all are going to stand against and face and the challenges that we have. He's with each person in that season of life. There are seasons. He says, I'm excited for them. What a great answer. What a great outlook. So it's from this vantage point that we can fit all of these seasons of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 into our heads. God sees it all. So, you know, where are we in all of this? You know, how are we processing the seasons of our lives? Do we see that it's God taking us? Do we see that it's God taking us to school? God taking us to the gym? God taking us to our friend's house? God taking us to church? He's leading. He's guiding. He's maturing us. He's growing us. He's working out his redemptive, redemptive purpose, even when we get beat up, even when we get pushed down, even when we get mocked and falsely accused. Jesus has been there and done that. And it's all a part of the redemptive plan of God. We're living in our allotted period. We're walking within our boundaries. 
because we have found God. He said, I do these things that you might seek me and found me. He did these things. We sought him. We found him. He made himself known to us would be a better way to put it. So who we are is who we are. What we are is what we are by the grace of God. None of it is by accident. Because not only are there seasons, but there are God. There's a God of the seasons. May God bless the preaching of his word and let's, uh, let's praise him and enjoy Holy Communion together.